Praise the Lord, my Lord, the mightiest, mightiest prophets of the Lord. Well, our blessed people, what a powerful opportunity to come to you again on this day uh, with lunchtime bread. And uh, we know that the Messiah is coming. And the Lord Jehovah has spoken with me about the coming of the Messiah. And uh, we have announced this tremendous day that is coming across the face of the globe. We've announced the coming of the Messiah across the North American continent, Central America and South America, across the entire Africa. The entire of Europe has also listened. They can access it. The entire of China can access it through this broadcast and our global broadcast. The entire of New Zealand, Australia, Asia, all the islands can access uh, the announcement on the glorious coming of the Messiah. And we know very well that in the calendar of the church, the calendar of the earth, the next most important event is the glorious coming of the Messiah. And so I want to encourage you, the studio team, the broadcasters of the studio, to make sure that you record this service that you can share it with other more people later uh, in the evening today or tomorrow. It's always good to record it and record it well. And so, blessed people, uh, the Lord Jehovah has spoken with me about the glorious return, the glorious coming of the Messiah, and I've seen that event, and that has been the center core of this mission of God Almighty on the earth, the current ongoing mission on which he has sent us. And on this mission, the Lord Almighty has made it very clear that time is over and only a holy church will enter into the glorious eternal kingdom of God. So that has come out very clearly that only a holy and a righteous church will see the eternal kingdom of Jehovah Yahweh. And I've shared with you several visions, including the recent ones during the lockdown, when he showed me the day of rapture. One part of the earth was in the dark, and the other part was in light in daytime. And he put me on the side that was day. And I saw people running from offices, running from their buildings. Even they took me to the side that is dark. People are running from their homes, running out and saying, Jesus has come, Jesus has come, Jesus has come. So you could tell that uh, probably they were not Christians. Uh, rather, they, they, they were not very keen in following that event, because otherwise they would have said, the rapture has happened, the rapture has happened. But they were shouting and running to the open spaces, coming out of the apartment building. A lot of people were flooding out. They were saying, oh, Jesus has come, my husband has left or even you, your son has left, whatever. There, were, there was a lot of that panic, and they were sharing, they were talking, they were confused. So that day, after that will take place, there will be a lot of running and confusion. I have seen that day, and I saw the vision in which he showed me the liftoff, the vision of January 15th, the year 2017, how the church will lift the ground, and then she will go up into the sky, 
pulled by the enormous glory of God Almighty, like streaks of lightning, very fast. And then they turn right and enter the huge cloud that was right in front of me. The glorious stairs lowered, and then the cloud closes, the door closes them inside. It's a very spectacular and very stunning thing to watch. And so we are all aware that uh, this is the day for which we are preparing, that every single human being, every person created by the Lord, should be very concerned and cognizant of the fact that such a day will befall the earth and there will be need for one to prepare. And the time to prepare is now. And uh, again, I have come out very clearly that the way to prepare for that day is to repent and turn away from sin, to reject sin, reject apostasy, reject decay and evil. And the signs of this coming day are very clear. We have seen the Lord instruct me to collide the Newton stars. became the most monumental event that shook. If there was a demonstration of the power that the Lord has deposited on these two prophets, you have it right there, to be able to shake the entire universe and to announce it 13 years in advance earlier from India, from here, and to announce an event that has never happened, there was no point of reference. There was no point at which people would say, oh, let me refer to this other event. It's similar to this one. And the accuracy is very stunning. The blue flames, the debris, the shaking, and all that, the explosion, and the collision, until the neutron stars collided. And then a second collision, I've also prophesied in your eyes, and took place just recently. And the scientists... It made them, they subscribed into our YouTube, NASA, the space agencies, because it was very stunning to know that somebody could know of this event that has never happened, of such a monumental magnitude to shake the entire earth. The cripples are walking this past Sunday, 37 cripples, two blind, whose eyes opened, 37 cripples raised, and two deaf and two lunatics. They walked into the church, and it was a stunning moment. Some of the churches in this land, people wept very bitterly when they saw a cripple like Shadrach Oibo that was totally on the soil for 10 years in the church there on the mattress, finally walking to church in a suit. It was such a tremendous shocker that hit people. The reality dawned home. The reality now came home that the Messiah is coming. These wonders happening in our time. And so it is in the same breath that I want to continue uh, to talk to you about how to prepare. Yesterday we saw from the book of John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40. And I want to continue that same script during this lunch hour break when you are seated eating your french fries or just fellowshiping with friends in the park or in the streets or in your office uh, during lunch hour. Uh, the book of John chapter 5, 39 and 40, which was our reference scripture, says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. That is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Remember, Jesus had just healed a 38-year-old cripple, a cripple that was crippled for 38 years by the pool called Bethesda. Bethesda. And... Uh, the Pharisees were very furious over that healing because they performed it on a Sunday. 
on a Shabbat, I beg your pardon, on a Shabbat. And so instead of seeing the beautiful work the Lord had done, the fact that the, this man has now found healing after 38 years of crippledness, they instead chose to turn what is light into darkness, to turn light into darkness because of their wickedness. And so Jesus, in answering them back, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Verse 40 of John 5, he says, Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And this is what we looked at yesterday. And we said very clearly that ever since mankind fell in the Garden of Eden, ever since then, everybody born of the DNA of Adam, as all men are, they are essentially spiritually dead. Unless you go to Christ Jesus and receive life and life eternal, you are spiritually dead. And that condition of being spiritually dead and choosing to take Christ or not will again play out very prominently at the end of the age during the final judgment that we see in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11, and all the way to verse 15. When those that will have humbled themselves, submitted to Christ, accepted his lordship, believed in him, received the gospel of grace he brought from our God Jehovah, they will be saved, that they ain't saved from fire, saved from hell, saved. You are normally saved from the judgment of God, the judgment on sin, and they will be immediately allowed entry into the eternal state, the eternal kingdom of God. But those that don't believe will be thrown into the lake of fire. You that are tuned in, listening to me now in the parks all over Nairobi here, in your offices, in the staff rooms, in the schools, in the universities, in the law firms, wherever you are tuned in from, hospitals, in the restaurants, in the, 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 this message is also tuned into several supermarkets. You that are tuned in to me, I want to make it clear to you that there is a clear divide some of you who will listen and obey Jesus Christ, repent from sin, and receive him, believe in him, trust him, depend on him, surrender your lives to him, you are the ones that will enter the eternal state, eternal peace, eternal bliss with God, the eternal kingdom of God. But the ones that will not, among you that are tuned in, will be thrown into hell where there is hell fire, the eternal torment. And that's why it's very important to hear this instruction. Jesus was talking to them in the book of John chapter 5, 39, 40. And 39 was accusing them. He was telling them that, look, you read the scripture, but the scripture has not changed your life. He was telling them that all scripture that they were reading essentially points on him, points to him, the Messiah that would come and save mankind, the Savior of the world. But they were reading Scripture and trying to keep Scripture diligently and failing to recognize Jesus, to see that all Scripture points at Jesus, points to Jesus, points humanity to Jesus. 
You can see even the two prophets speaking with you right now. Ever since they came, they have been pointing their whole earth to the coming Messiah. They never mention a statement without referring to the coming Messiah, to the coming Messiah, to Jesus the Messiah. All scripture points to the coming Messiah. And so, they were contesting him and fighting him and failing to recognize the Messiah, yet they read scripture. And we know too well that in the book of Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, we saw very clearly, if you turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, in verse 17, this is what he says. Genesis 2, 17, he says, But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day when you eat from it, you will certainly die. When God says you will for sure die, you will die if you do that thing. And when they ate that, when they defied God and did exactly what he wanted, then you see the curse that befell in Genesis 3.19. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust thou art, and to dust you will return. That is now the judgment of death that befell mankind because of sin. And he was speaking this to Adam, Adam and Eve after they fell. And yet look at Genesis chapter 5, verse 5, he says the following. He says, altogether Adam lived a total of 930 years and then died. So the death that he was talking to Adam about was spiritual death. That's why Adam did not die immediately. Immediately he fell into sin, and the judgment of death was spoken unto him, came into effect. He did not die. He still lived on up to 930 years. So he's talking about spiritual death, which is worse. The second death is worse. Because that is now death in fire, hell fire. That is what you see written out there in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verses 11 to 15. The judgment where Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire and all the people that followed Satan in this life. And yet in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, as I build up this for you during your lunch hour today, this little introduction into this message. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, it says the following. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, it says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity. That means on one hand, life and prosperity. Death and destruction on the other hand. And then it says, I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, his decrees, and laws, then you live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you. He will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of. He was speaking about the movement into the promised land, but that scripture pertains today. And that's why the title of my message to you today is, Has the Word Really Changed Your Life? 
on this radio broadcast, lunch hour service, my message to you today, my message is entitled, Has the Word Really Changed Your Life? Because they were reading the Word, they were reading the Scriptures, and yet they could not see the Christ. And that is very synonymous with what you see in the present-day church today. You see that many Christians go to church, they read the scripture, but they fail to come to Jesus. They refuse to come to him to have life. When you look at the present day church, you can tell that she has not gone to Jesus. And I will explain to you what it means to go to Jesus and take life. Your life changes totally. You become children of God. You triumph over evil. You trample over sin and scorpions and serpents. The instruments of the devil, you trample over them. But if you look at the present day church, she's virtually defeated by Satan. So it tells you that they read the word on Sunday. They read the word in churches, but they are repeating the same game that the Pharisees did. If you look at the book of Romans chapter 5, if you turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 5 today, verse 12, look at what it says. Romans 5, 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin entered, through, entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Again, He's saying that what Adam and Eve did in the garden affected literally every human being created from that point on. Every human being living on the earth. Therefore, there is a need to come to Christ. And that's why Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says the following. Romans 6, 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is the eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's why he was Accusing, he was telling the Pharisees, he was saying, you read the scriptures as though you are looking for eternal life from it, as though when you read the scripture you are going to find eternal life, without knowing that all scripture essentially points you to me, and yet you refuse to come to me to take life. But that is what you see happening in the present day church. They are reading scriptures, they are are singing songs that contain scripture, they read benedictions, they read things in the church, they read scripture. They quote scriptures in their prayers. And yet they refuse to go to Jesus and turn their lives over to find life. If you look at the present day church, she's characterized by death. The instruments of the devil, the instruments of death, have marked her life, the present day church of Christ. And for Israel, they claimed they could not see the Messiah. Israel could not see the Messiah. And yet God the Father himself testified about Jesus, about the Messiah. Look at John chapter 1, the book of John chapter 1. Turn with me to John chapter 1, blessed people, in this lunch hour session, where you are seated in your offices, staff rooms. Some of you are seated in the parks, Nairobi parks, you know, in restaurants. During this lunch hour, what an awesome time to come to you. But he's saying in the book of John chapter 1, that God the Father himself testified in the eyes 
of Israel about the Messiah. He said, John the Baptist, John chapter 1, verse 29, and he says the following. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, toward him, and said, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And he says, this is the one I meant, that he comes with greater power. So God himself testified right before them, by voice, testified about the Messiah. So how come they were claiming that they cannot see the Messiah? And look at the events of the transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17. If you have time, you read verses 1 to 5. Verse 5, he says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Please listen to him. God the Father himself testified my voice from heaven about the Christ. I can give the example of he that speaks with you. God the Father himself has testified about me. That everything he ever said is right. Everything they have done is right. It is I, Jehovah, that has done. I have called the cloud of God publicly in a prophecy. And the cloud of God has come in a very historic event never seen only in the Old Testament, in the other life. I have walked and God has beamed his glory from heaven walking with me, captured on cameras. Heaven has testified openly about these prophets. I have commanded rain to open in Lima, Peru, from Italy. From Italy, from Palermo, Italy. And when two months later I go to Lima, Peru, I have stood before the whole earth, tuned in, and spoken with God the Father. Well, Mighty Father, we're waiting for you to open heaven and bring rain here. Just as the prophecy said in Italy. And instantly heaven opened. Wow, rain came down. So in the same way, God the Father testified about Jesus. And this time by voice, Jesus, the Lord Jesus, he took his disciples, he took Peter, James, and John to the mountain of transfiguration that I know so much about, which I can share here now. And then, in the course of that, in the course, in the course of that conversation, the cloud of God covers them, and God the Father himself testifies that this is Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the one that was promised, the deliverer, and the savior of the world. If you look at John chapter 5, John chapter 5, verses 36 and 37, it says the following. I have testified weightier. I have a testimony weightier than the one of John. I have a testimony heavier, weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. And he was referring to the miracles, the signs and the wonders he has performed in their eyes. How awesome. And I can stand before you here today and say, even the two prophets of Yahweh speaking with you, 
the works that God the Father has performed when they have come in the mighty name of Jesus. Testify, God has used that to testify that they have come from God the Father in heaven. So everything was supposed to have been so clear and plain to them that this is the Messiah. And yet, they claim that in the Old Testament that they read, they did not see the Messiah. They could not see him. And yet you and I know that the Old Testament really, really in its entirety points to Jesus, points the whole humanity to Jesus. Look at the book of Romans chapter 9. We can begin from Romans chapter 9, blessed people. What an opportunity to come to you. Uh, maybe you fellowship in another church, and you're tuned in. A friend has told you to tune in, that there is this lunch hour broadcast going on here. I want you to know that here we preach the coming of the Messiah, and how the church needs to prepare in repentance and absolute holiness and righteousness, a deliberate effort to reject sin. Because the Bible says in Hebrews twelve fourteen. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. For without holiness, nobody will see the Lord. Here we prepare the church, we rebuke sin. And so I welcome you on board. But if you look at the book of Romans chapter 9, verse 4, look at what it says. Romans chapter 9, verse 4. He says, The people of Israel bears is the adoption to sonship, bears the divine glory, the covenant, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. So he's saying here, that the Israelites, the Israelites are lofty. They are called God's own people. Why? Because they were given the law. This generation has seen finally how the Lord wrote on the stone tablets because God has written, has repeated the writings in the sky. He has written to me in your eyes. It's all over the web. It's all over the social media. You have seen the script of heaven. You have seen how God writes. But in a similar incident, way back, they, God wrote the law. And once the law was handed to them, they became a special people. They became the only beholders of the covenant of redemption, of the saving word of God, of the law of God. They are the only people to whom God's redemptive plan was revealed, the word. So how do you pride yourselves in the word, even as a church, that you are the only ones with the word of the living God? And yet at the end of it, you have not found Christ. You are not able to make a breakthrough in the word that you read every Sunday in the church. Every evening you read, some of you read Bible study for your children. But has the word really changed your life? They kept reading the word. They were very priding themselves that we are the ones given the word. I have so much detail I don't want to share with you here. As you know, I have so much detail from the past. 
but it raised them to be God's covenant people. And yet, they could not make a breakthrough, could not see the Christ that that word is pointing to. Everybody is being pointed to the Messiah, to Christ Jesus the Messiah. Same thing in the present day church. They said they are the beholders of the word of God. But how come that word has not changed your life, transformed your life to reject a life of sin and go into a life of righteousness and holiness? How come your life has not transformed? They claimed they could not see the Messiah. They argued with him. They tried to kill him severally. And yet you and I know that the lamb of sacrifice that was commanded in the book of Isaiah 53, essentially points to Christ Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sin of man. The same thing, God, and yet the entire word of God, pointing to the holiness of God, to the fact that those that are born again have received the grace of God, that Christ Jesus, our Savior, brought, they must walk as children of the light, children of God, children of holiness. Same thing is repeating in the church today. And that's why I wanted to engage with you during this lifetime break. I really wanted to engage with you at this time on some substantive issues that the present-day church beholds, the present-day believer beholds. There is a serious problem if they don't change by repentance they will not see the kingdom of God in the present day church. The Bible is repeating. And that's why I decided to walk you the journey and the, the, the mistake that Israel made, that you may not go through the same mistake that I see repeating, Bible repeating in the church. In Isaiah 53, if you look at the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 says the following, He says, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of sorrows and suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people should hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmity, our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him smitten and punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, reconciliation, in other words, with God, was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. You see the cripples are walking today. We are all like lost sheep, like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us turns to their own ways. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. 
by operation adjustment, he was taken away. And yet, who of his generation protested? He was assigned a grave among the wicked, verse 9. Verse 10, yet it was the will of God, the Lord God, to crush him and cause him to suffer. That is in the Old Testament. Isaiah is talking about the Messiah. So the level of sacrifice that they had in the Old Testament points at the Messiah. So I wonder what it is that they could not see about the Messiah. If you look at Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, Exodus 12, verse 5, it says the following. The book of Exodus 12, verse 5, it says the following, blessed people. It says, Exodus 12, 5, it says the following. It says, in the book of Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, it says, The animal you choose must be year old male without defect. That was pointing to the Messiah. So what is it about the Messiah they could not see in the Old Testament until they missed such a treasured moment of visitation? And we know that the system that God set up for them for the forgiveness of sin, that there would be no forgiveness of sin, God's order, God's standard and blueprint for forgiveness of sin was such that there would be no forgiveness of sin without the blood. That also pointed to the Messiah. So how come they claimed they could not see the Messiah and contested him and tried to rubbish him? Exodus chapter 11. If you read Exodus 12, where we are, first of all, verse 7 right there. Verse 7, he says, Exodus 12, he says, Then they had to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lamb. And then, that is pointing to the Messiah, the blood of the Lamb, of the Messiah, the glorious Lamb of God, the blood of Jesus, that would come and redeem man, and heal us, and raise cripples. And yet, Exodus chapter 11, verse 7, it says, But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person, any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction of the Lamb. And that also pointed at the coming Messiah, the perfect sacrifice of God. So everything was there in the Old Testament for whoever wants to see the Messiah to see just is here now in this Bible that the Christians are reading so that everybody that wants to see the holiness of the Messiah and the holiness of the kingdom of God that is coming can see, but they choose not to see. The seed of a woman that was promised in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that seed of a woman that will come and crush the head of the serpent when he says, and I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and hers. He will, it's now he, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. That is pointing to the Messiah. That was the Messiah being referred to there. The messenger of the covenant, 
But you see in Malachi chapter 3, if you turn to the book of Malachi chapter 3, blessed people, the messenger of the covenant he refers to there is the Messiah. Malachi 3, 1, he says, I'll send my messenger who will appear. Again, I'll send my messenger, my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And he says, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to the temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord. So he's talking about the two prophets that come to prepare the way. And then now the messenger of the covenant appears. That is the Messiah himself. The high priest in the order of Melchizedek that you have in the Old Testament is essentially the Messiah. If you look at the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 14, that is the Messiah. So how is it that Israel claimed they could not see the Messiah? Genesis 14 verses 17 only says, After Abraham returned from defeating Kedeleoma, and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of Jerusalem, before Jerusalem is created, king of peace. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. That bread and wine are the precursors of the new covenant, the cross and the blood. The bread and wine is referring to here. He came carrying, Melchizedek is the pre-incarnate Christ. That is the image of the Christ you have in the Old Testament. And he comes carrying the bread and the wine. It, would have, it wouldn't have been more direct than this. That he's coming to go to the cross. He's bringing the new covenant of redemption. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abraham saying, God, blessed be Abraham by God most high. The creator of heaven and earth, possessor of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. That is Christ in the Old Testament. How come they claim they could not see him? And now come to the present day church, how she also purports that she cannot see the holiness of Christ in the Bible. And that's why today, almost all Christians are walking in sin. It's unbelievable. They are claiming that they cannot see the righteousness that is duty. Christians are duty-bound. The duty of the church is to deliver righteousness. How come? But on Melchizedek, the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 6, look at what he says. Says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And if you look at Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 20, he says, where, again, where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. That is the Messiah. Melchizedek was the Messiah. The, 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 the Messiah before the cross, rather. The Messiah... The Messiah coming to prepare for his arrival. 
blessing Abraham that he may bless the lineage and is carrying the bread and the wine, which are the precursors of the new covenant at Calvary. And if you read the book of Psalm 110, verse 4, Sam, he, he brings out very clearly that Melchizedek is Christ before he came to die for men. So where is it that they could not see this tremendous high priest of the order of Melchizedek, the Messiah that would come? And he's saying, the son of man that Daniel saw, the son of man that Daniel saw, if you look at the book of Daniel, Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 7, the son of man that he saw, in the Old Testament, it was right there before them. The manuscripts were there. Daniel chapter 7, if you read verses 9 to 14, it says the following. It says, As I looked, thrown to a certain place, and the ancient of days took his seat, his clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and his wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. He said, thousands upon thousands attended him, served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood right before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the most words of the horn that was speaking. Remember, the Lord showed me this horn. Last year when I was preaching about Daniel, I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body destroyed and the other beast had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. Then 13 and 14 is key things. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. That is the Messiah in the Old Testament. How could they be reading the Torah all the time without seeing the Messiah? How could they claim that they cannot see Jesus? Was one like a son of man coming with the clouds, the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence and was given authority and glory, sovereign power, and all the nations and the peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That is the kingdom of the Messiah. If you want to see the Messiah in the Old Testament, you can see the Messiah. And they rejected him because they claimed they could not see him. The seed of Abraham that you see in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, is the Messiah. And he said, the scepter of Judah that you see in Genesis 49.10, that is the Messiah. The good shepherd that you see in Psalm 23 is the Messiah, the good shepherd. The son is the Messiah. So what is it that they could not see the Messiah? The lion of the tribe of Judah is the Messiah. The branch 
coming out of Jesse, the rise to David, the root of David that you see in Isaiah 11, that is the Messiah, blessed people. And then, he's saying to them, in the book of John chapter 5, John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, our lead scriptures, he says to them this, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you have refused to come to me and take life and have life and life eternal. But you see in the present day church, they are reading the Bible, they are reading scripture every Sunday, every single Sunday, they are reading scripture, blessed people. They read scripture every Sunday. And yet, the church has not taken eternal life. She is still languishing in sin, the present day church. The book of Second Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 5, it says, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers, will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderer, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying his power, meaning throwing the cross and the blood out, having a form of religion, and he says, you have nothing to do with such people. Don't you see that the present day church has repeated the same mistake, the same tragedy that the Pharisees committed? Reading the scriptures, reading the scriptures, looking for eternal life from there, but yet not submitting to Jesus. Look at the present day church, how disobedient. The book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 3 and 5, he says the following. First Timothy chapter 6, blessed people, 3 and 5, he says the following. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about the word. He is talking about the misuse of the word today. The way the church reads the word, and yet they cannot see the Holy Jesus, the Holy Son of God, that is demanding righteousness and holiness from the Christian of the day. He is demanding righteousness and holiness from the present day Christian. The Bible today, if you look at the way the Christians are living their life today, the Christian believers, you can, you can understand that they are repeating exactly John chapter 5, 39 and 40. They are reading as routines and traditions in their churches, taking life to transform their lives. Hebrews chapter 6, blessed people. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. He says, it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, 
and the powers of the coming age. And while if they fall away, it's impossible to be brought back to repentance because they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Isn't that the present-day church is addressing that? Behaving like the Pharisees, saying we can read scripture on Sunday in the church, but we cannot see the holiness of God, which is the most important benchmark for entry into the kingdom of God. Scripture is not for scripture's sake. Scripture was given to the church, to mankind, to point men to the glorious Messiah, that they may enter the glorious kingdom of God. Why is the present day church reading scripture and using it for today, here, now, and not focusing on the holiness requirement of the coming kingdom? If the present day church had read the scripture well, they would have understood that scripture is meant to transform you, that you may become sons of God. Sons of God simply means that God is reminding us where exactly you are a Christian, that you should not be what you are now. You should be what you ought to be. Sons of God are separated from sin. They are chosen by God. They have crucified the flesh. Sons of God are controlled by God. They have lost their self-control. They are now heavenly focused. And that tells you that the present day church is reading the Bible in the same way the Pharisees read scriptures without finding life in it. He says, unless a man be born again, there is supposed to be a new birth. John chapter 3, verse 3. John chapter 3, verse 16. Unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Scripture is meant to lead you to Christ Jesus, that you may be born again and experience the newness of life. Scripture is not meant to be read the way the Pharisees read Scripture. And God demands that his people focus on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He loves his people, he cares for them, he has chosen them, and he expects them also to abstain from sin. He expects them to live on the earth as exiles, as sojourners, as foreigners, as passers-by, as pilgrims. First Peter, blessed people, First Peter chapter 2. Turn with me to First because of time. The book of First Peter chapter 2. And it says the following, verses 9 and 11. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Give mercy. But now you receive mercy. That is the church. So in finishing, blessed people, I have brought this awakening to you that you may repent. And that's why the title of this message, launch our session has been, Has the Bible really changed your life? Has the Word changed you? Has the Word changed your life? When you look at the present-day Christians, has the Word changed their lives? 
Or do you see a people that are reading the word scriptures the same way the Pharisees were reading and their lives were not changing? So if you feel you want to receive the Lord, I want to give you 10 minutes to walk to your office. Blessed people, during this lunch hour break, if you feel you want to receive the Lord, repeat after me in this two-minute prayer. Say, Mighty Lord Jesus, I have realized that the word, the scripture you gave us, the biblical scriptures, were meant to lead us to Christ Jesus and that we may receive the redemption of Jesus, the salvation of the cross, and live a transformed life, a changed life. And so today I repent in the mighty name of Jesus and turn away from all sin and receive you, my Lord Jesus, into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. And I ask you, my Lord Jesus, to transform my life change my life that I may not be like the Pharisees that simply read the scripture and their lives did not change but that whenever I read scripture I may see the holiness of Jesus the holiness of God the holiness of the Holy Spirit and live a transformed life I ask you my Lord Jesus to establish your word in my heart and establish the Holy Spirit in my life order my steps that I may walk in absolute holiness and reject sin, and separate totally and live a separated Christian life, separated from the sin of this life. Please maintain my name in the Lamb's book of life, that I may enter the glorious kingdom of God. In the mighty name of Jesus, today I'm born again, amen. If you have said that prayer, I bless you. I'll see you again uh, next week. Again, what a wonderful opportunity to come to you, blessed people. This is our radio program, The Lunch Hour Bread, that comes to you on Jesus Lord Radio, broadcasting on 105.3 and 105.9 FM. And also with a very strong footprint on the WW World Wide Web on JesusIsLordRadio.info. May the Lord bless you. Remember, you are now a changed person. Jesus loves you. Tada shalom.